Um, we are starting a brand new series today called Triggers, How to Punch Temptation in the Face. I'm so ready to talk about that. But before we do, I want to let you go know that, give you an update on last week. You know, last week was Imagine Sunday. How many people were here last week? Let me see your hand last week, Imagine Sunday. If you're not familiar with Imagine Sunday, I don't have time to tell you all about it. But in essence, it's where our church uh, figures out ways to give money away. That's what Imagine is. And, um, and so we've done it. Now, this was our seventh Imagine Sunday and by the end of this year, we will have given away over $400,000 as a church, which is just incredible. And so last week, we just, you know, shared the vision again. And you got to hear from Sister Rebecca and Kenya. You got to hear from Johnny and, and Asia and, uh, and just our partnerships and all the ways and all the things that we're doing. And you guys last Sunday continue to amaze me with generosity. Last Sunday, you guys gave $51,432, which is incredible. Incredible. Yeah, so y'all are nuts, and I love you for it, and um, God just keeps blessing, and it's, uh, it's incredible. So thank you for everybody uh, who gave to Imagine. And if you weren't here last week and you want to be a part of that, by all means, jump in. We'll have some commitment cards probably back in the back somewhere, and if not, then you can always give online or however you want to do it. Um, but we'd love for you to be a part of that because it's, it's pretty special. All right, so we're, we're starting this series, Triggers, How to Punch Temptation in the Face, and this is really a series about... Sin. It's a series about those sins that keep tripping us up, those, those choices that we make that we keep running back to and keep going back to that we don't want to. We don't want to be that person. We don't want to be doing those things. And we keep telling ourselves and committing to ourselves that we're going to change and we're not going to, to do those things anymore. But for whatever reason, we can't stop making harmful decisions. We can't stop. We're bound. We're addicted. We're, we're chained up. And God's plans and dreams for our lives and our plans and our dreams for our lives are so much bigger than this spot that we're stuck in. But no matter what we do or how many commitments we make to ourselves or how many times we get motivated, we just can't seem to, to turn the corner. We can't seem to find freedom. And whenever there's a trigger that that, that, that pops up or it takes us back to this feeling or this temptation or this place, we, we end up going back. Proverbs 26, 11, one of the grossest verses in the Bible says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Won't you turn to the person you're sitting beside and just tell them, I'm a fool. Tell them, I am a fool. I just keep repeating my foolishness. I don't know why I keep doing it, but I keep repeating my foolishness. And, uh, and so we, we want to figure out how to break that cycle. I'm not telling you today or not promising you today that I'm going to give you some secret that you'll never do anything stupid ever again. Come on, there's a lot of stupid in the room, and we're going to keep doing some stupid stuff. But I can promise you that the Bible gives us some ways to find freedom in our lives to where a sin or an addiction or a choice doesn't keep defining us. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this for two weeks. Then there's Easter Sunday, and then I don't know yet. We may jump back into it after Easter. I'm not sure. I got a lot of stuff I want to say. We'll see how it goes. But um, as we're talking through this series, we're going to use 1 Corinthians 10.13 as a backdrop. If you're not familiar with 1 Corinthians 10.13, I'm about to give it to you. And I want to encourage you to take a picture of the screen, write it down on a postcard, write it with lipstick on your mirror, go get a tattoo with it somewhere on your body, like figure out a way to keep 1 Corinthians 10.13 in front of you, all right, in front of you. 
because it's powerful and it's going to help us figure out how to break this cycle of, 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 of sin in our lives. This is what it says. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Now, we could just stop right there and preach on that today. That's an incredible statement. You are not alone. Your story is not so unique that nobody else struggles with that. And the, and the devil, the, the, the enemy wants you to believe that nobody's doing what you're doing. Nobody's facing what you're facing. Nobody's feeling what you're feeling. Listen, that is a lie. And if we passed around the mic this morning and had everybody just take some truth serum and admit, like, what is your biggest struggle? You know what we would find? That everybody in the room is really struggling with about the same three or four things, honestly. And so, but the enemy, the devil on your shoulder will show up and say, nobody's as bad as you are. Nobody's doing as bad as you are. Nobody's struggling as much as you are. That is a lie, Okay but it gets better. Let's keep going. So the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. That's a good statement. We could stop right there and preach on that for a little while. That even though I keep returning to my foolishness, God keeps being faithful. He didn't give up on me when I give up on me. That's good. But here's how he's faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted... God will show you a way out so that you can endure. I love it. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I grew up listening to my dad. My dad is a preacher, still is a preacher. And I grew up, I was talking to my brother this week. And, um, you know, when you travel around with your dad who preaches at different churches all the time, he preaches like four or five sermons over and over again. And uh, you kind of memorize them. And, and my dad preached a sermon on 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and me and my brother were talking this week, and we pretty much just preached it to each other. But this was a verse that my dad loved. It was a verse that he preached a lot, and it's a verse that I love, because here's what it means, is that there's never a time in my life and there's never a time in your life where I don't have a choice to say no to temptation. That in every situation, God gives me a back door. And every time I'm tempted, God gives me a fire escape. Every time I'm tempted, I have a choice to say no. And I know that there are times in our life where it doesn't feel like we have a choice to say no. I know there are times in our life where it feels so overwhelming that it just, we, we make dumb decisions and we say, I just couldn't help myself. I, I just, I, I couldn't, I, I just, there's no way. I've got a seven-year-old right now who keeps telling me that, you know. Sadie, why did you lie? I just couldn't help myself, you know. And we keep saying you always have a choice, you always have a choice. But that's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. That God is so faithful that he has set up in every single instance, every scenario of temptation, that if you will stop and you will think or you will look or you will pray or whatever it is, you will find a way to say no to sin every single time because that's how faithful God is. So as we go through this series over the next few weeks, I want you to know you always have a choice. Don't let the devil tell you. Don't let the enemy tell you. You'll never overcome it. You'll never be able to stop. Listen, you always have a choice. So what we're going to do to start this series is we're going to go all the way back to the very first temptation. Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, you're going to look at Adam and Eve, the very first temptation. And here's what's so powerful about Genesis 2 and 3, is that the, the same pattern, the same cycle 
of sin and temptation for Adam and Eve is the very same cycle and pattern that you and I face today. It's never changed. It is the same pattern, the same cycle that you face that Adam and Eve face. The devil is not very original. He has used the same method over and over and over again, and he uses it on our lives. So today I'm going to give you five, the five kind of stages of temptation and sin and how it happens. I want to encourage you to take some notes, write some stuff down. It's going to be good today. I really think it's going to help you, all right? So Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. If you have a Bible, follow along. I'm going to give you some stuff to mark. If not, it'll be up on the screen, which is totally Totally fine, so just uh, follow along with us. Genesis 2, 15 through 17, here's what it says. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree. Everybody say every tree. In the garden. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Here's the first stage, all right? The first stage of temptation and sin is God's instruction, or God sets boundaries. Okay, now here's what happens to us with human nature, all right? Is God says to Adam and Eve, you can have everything, just not that one thing. And what do we do as human beings? We want that one thing. Come on, dieters. Here are 500 foods that you can eat that work in your diet, but you cannot have that chocolate chip cookie. I want the chocolate chip cookie. Right? I mean, I always want chocolate chip cookies, but you know what I mean. Like, you can't, you, whatever it is, you know, your parents say, listen, we don't care if you date, but don't date that boy. Who's the most attractive boy? That boy. Right? You, you, you can, you know, you can stay out to 11, but don't be home past 11. You show up at 11.10. If they say you can be home at 10, but don't be past 10, you show up at 10.10. Like, whatever the boundary is, we figure out a way to figure out why we want something we can't have. It's the way that we are, are hardwired. And nobody had to teach you how to do that. Nobody had to teach you as a kid how to disobey. Nobody had to teach you as a kid how to lie. Nobody had to teach you how to not share. Like it is ingrained in us to figure out how to break the rules, right? And so God shows up to Adam and he says, I'm not limiting you. You can have every, a fruit from every tree, Every tree. I just don't want you to eat that one. And, and for whatever reason, Eve can't stop looking at that tree. We say this all the time around here, but I want you to, to hear it again. God's boundaries, God's laws, God's ways for your life are always to enhance your life, not to limit it. Please hear that. That God's boundaries, God's laws, God's ways are always to enhance your life. God never tells you no to limit you, punish you, torture you. God never does that. He only tells you no to protect you, to enhance your life, to bless your life. There is nothing that you want that God says you shouldn't have that you should have. Please hear that. But, but we're so hardwired to think that, um, you know what, God is keeping me from something that would really make me happy. If God wanted you to have it and thought it would be best for your life, he would tell you you could have it. But the, the, but the limits and the boundaries and the laws that he set up are always to enhance your life, not, not to limit it, not to limit it. 
Numbers 33, 51 through 55, we, we read this when we went through the Judges series, but God was telling Israel, listen, when you get into the land, I want you to drive out all the enemies, drive out all the images, drive out all the pagan shrines. And then he says, but if you fail to drive out the people in the land, those who remain, they will be like splinters in your eye and thorns in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you live. In other words, here's what it means. We could say this is true. If I said to you, listen, tell me about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when you gave in to temptation and you went after something God said you shouldn't go after. Now, how many people would say that decision has remained a splinter in my eye and a thorn in my side, we, right? Because God says, look, if you'll do what I say, your life will be fruitful and meaningful and full. But if you go after the things that I tell you not to go after, you're only going to hurt yourself. You're only going to hurt yourself. So the first stage in all of this is God sets up boundaries. Where do we get God's instruction? We get God's instruction from the word of God, from the word of God, all right? So yes, God showed up and told Adam face to face, but God still speaks to us just like he did Adam. He does it through the Bible. So as you read the Bible, the Bible's actually not a book of no's. It's actually a book of instruction on how to live a blessed, full life. But as you're reading through there and you see that, that you know, that, that he gives us these these ways, these boundaries, these laws, we should take those and figure out how to obey them because it's for our good, all right? So step one in this process of temptation and sin is God sets boundaries, God sets instructions, all right? Step two, or, or st- uh, number two in the process is temptation comes, right? Genesis 3, 1 through 5, we're just kind of going through the story of Adam and Eve. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. Notice that Satan didn't say, did God really say you couldn't have that one tree? He starts out by saying like, man, God won't let you have anything. The snake said to Eve, did God say you couldn't have any fruit in the garden? Like the devil shows up and says to you like, man, why won't God let you have anything? Why won't God God let you be happy, right? And Eve's like, no, no, no. It's only from that tree. He, he, gets, he gets her attention focused on what she can't have. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Here's what I can promise you today. The moment that you decide to draw a boundary in your life, the moment you decide to draw a line in your life, to take a stand for something, to obey God's laws, to obey God's ways, I can promise you that the enemy is going to show up in your life and tempt you to go against the decision that you just made. It's going to happen every time. You decide that you're no longer going to use credit cards because you don't want to go in debt anymore. The TV is going to go on sale the next day. You decide you're not going to borrow money anymore to buy a car. Your car's going to break down the next week. You decide you're not going to be in any more bad relationships anymore. And like Romeo is going to walk through the door the next Friday night at the bar. That's how it happens every time. The moment you decide, you know what? I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to draw a line. I'm going to draw a boundary. I'm going to live within the framework that God gave me. Temptation will knock on your door every single time. It's going to happen. And that's what happens in this story. It may be a voice in your head. It may be a voice of a friend in your life that is a bad influence on you. But the enemy shows up and he gets you to question the truth. Did God really say that? Listen, do do you really, I mean, do you really not want to go into debt anymore? Is it that big a deal? Listen, do you really not want to be in a relationship? I mean, do you really want to be alone? 
Like he just gets us questioning these stances, these, these choices that we've made. And the same thing that Satan, the snake, did to Adam and Eve is the same thing that he does to us. He just talks to us. He just makes suggestions because that's all he can do. You know, sometimes we give, God, we give the devil too much credit and we think that God and the devil are equal powers. They're not equal powers. God is all-powerful. Satan, according to the Bible, is just a fallen angel, which an angel's powerful, I guess, but it's not like God. So don't get this idea in your head that somehow there's this battle of good and evil and there are these equal forces going at each other. It's not, okay? The, the, the Bible tells us that Satan is a fallen angel. I, f- I feel like I'm describing like a, a CW show or something. Like, okay, it's really in the Bible, okay? So that Satan is like a fallen angel, all right? And, but God is God. God is all-powerful, all right? And so really quickly, I don't want to take a lot of time, but let me just give you a couple of truths about the devil. So this is going to free some of you guys up. This is going to help you because you've been giving the devil way too much credit in your life, okay? Thinking that somehow he has power over you. Listen, let me give you a couple of truths about the devil. Number one, he's not omnipotent. In other words, he's not all-powerful. The Bible describes God as all-powerful, omnipotent. The devil's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He can't do whatever he wants to do. He can't make you do something that you don't want to do. He, has, he does not have power, all power. He has some power, but he doesn't have all power. And the power that he has is only the power that God gives him to have. Right? When he wanted to mess with Job, he had to come ask God if he could mess with Job. When, when, when Jesus was talking to Peter in the Gospels, he says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Like, so he only has the power that God gives him. All right, uh, here's another truth about the devil. He's not omnipresent. In other words, the devil's not all places at all times. He can only be in one place at one time. All right, now I grew up in like kind of some hillbilly country churches. And, and so like some lady would say, y'all pray for me. The devil's been at my house this week, you know. And like, that's not true. But if it were true, that means that he could be nowhere else in the world. Because he can't be in all places at all times. It's not, it's not a power that he has. Did you know that the devil does not know what you're thinking? He does not have the ability or the power to know what you're thinking. So stop, stop thinking that the devil is in your mind or that he knows what you're thinking, because he's not. He, he, he cannot make you do anything. All the devil can do is take notes on your life and the decisions that you make. And then all he can do, just like he did in the story of Adam and Eve, all he can do is he can show up and he can make suggestions. He can show up and tempt you. He can show up and make you question things. And he can, he can get you doubting yourself and doubting God and doubting God's promises and get you to go down a path like a master salesman. But he does not have the ability to make you do anything. You always have a choice. You always have a choice. So he, sent, he shows up just like he does in this story and he starts suggesting. And here's what I've found to be true in my life and I think you've probably found this to be true in your life. When I spend a lot of time trying to, like, fight the devil, I usually lose. That's why James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. It doesn't say rebuke the devil and he will flee. It doesn't say fight the devil and he will flee. It doesn't say, it says, get away, run as fast as you can, like resisting arrest, which some of y'all know about. Get away, okay? Hit the gas as far, as hard as you can. Run as fast as you can. Resist the devil and he will flee. 
if you try to, try to start negotiating with temptation, you're going to lose every single time. Every single time. So resist the devil. So that's number two. So God sets boundaries. Here comes that voice, that tempting voice in our head. Number three, if we don't resist temptation, the third step in the process is sin. That's what happened in the story. Genesis 3, 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. If you have a Bible open, you can, you can mark or highlight. Why don't you just mark, she was convinced, and then mark, um, she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Because this is what happens with sin. The devil starts talking. We, 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 whatever, whether it's through a friend or it's in our head or whatever, the devil starts talking. And we convince ourselves that we're not happy. We convince ourselves that we need whatever it is that sin is promising to give us. We convince ourselves that we need that relationship. We convince ourselves we need that hit. We convince ourselves we need to take that trip. We convince ourselves we need to spend that money. We convince ourselves we need to tell that lie. And, and, and we sin when we come to the point where we are convinced, like Eve. Eve was convinced that that tree was the answer. And at its base, at its core, that's really what sin is. Sin is the actions that we do when we convince ourselves that, that what we can't have is better than what we can have and what God has for our lives. And so that's what happens to Eve. Keep reading Genesis 3, 7. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame. Everybody say shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. Step number four, you ready? We're, we're walking through the process. This is how it works every time. God sets boundaries. The temptation shows up. We sin. Number four, we feel shame. We feel shame. We're not happy with the decision we made. I mean, maybe right in the moment, you know, we feel, we feel good. I, I had a, a, when I was doing my internship in youth ministry, we had this guy in the church who had done drugs like most of his life, but he had given his heart to the Lord recently. And and he was talking to, to me one day, and he said, you know, Jason, he said, we, we, we do a disservice to these kids. We tell kids drugs is bad. Drugs ain't bad. Drugs is great. They bad for you, but they're great. He said, we got stuff to, and this guy was crazy. But point being, like, in the moment, the reason that sin and temptation works is because it is fun for a little bit. It does feel good for a while, but it always leads to shame. Nobody in this room feels better about yourself after you give in to temptation. A after whatever it is wears off, nobody in the room feels better about themselves. That they weren't able to stand, that they didn't have any willpower, that they gave in to something that they didn't want to do. And so notice what Adam and Eve did because of their shame. Step five, fifth thing that happens, secrecy. It says when the cool, uh, so they sowed, verse seven, so they're ashamed, so they, they sew fig leaves together to cover themselves. Adam and Eve, this is kind of a metaphor. It's kind of symbolic. They were naked, but they had felt no shame. In other words, there was this 100% transparent relationship between Adam and Eve. They sin, they feel shame, and the Bible says that they cover themselves. In other words, now they're not 100% transparent or visible to the person that they're doing life with. And then Genesis 3.8 says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. 
the same pattern that's been happening since the beginning of time. God sets boundaries. The tempting voice shows up. We give in to temptation. We sin. We feel ashamed because of what we did. And because we feel ashamed, we go into hiding. We, we, we hide from the relationships in our life. We're not honest with our friends and our family. And we hide from God because we are convinced that God is just as ashamed of us as we are ashamed of ourselves. So we hide. And that's the point of all of it. That's why the devil wants you to sin. He wants to separate you from God. The reason he wants you to make terrible choices is because he wants you to feel bad about yourself. And he wants you to believe that God feels bad about you and that God doesn't love you. And that's his point. That's why he gets you to do what you do. My whole life growing up, I heard people say sin separates you from God. And it's 100% true. Sin does separate you from God. But I always thought sin separated me from God because God's up in heaven like, that's it. You sinned. We're separated. That's not why sin separates me from God. Sin separates me from God because every time I'm ashamed of myself, I cannot believe that God really loves me. I cannot believe that God would really give me another chance, that God cares about me and isn't disgusted by me like I'm disgusted by myself. We convince ourselves God doesn't want us. And so we separate ourselves from God because we're ashamed of what we did. God gives instruction, we're tempted, we sin, we're ashamed, we hide. We have been repeating this cycle forever, over and over and over again. God gives his instruction, we're tempted, we sin, we're ashamed, we hide. God gives his instruction, we're tempted, we sin, we're ashamed, we hide. So we're not honest with anybody anymore about our struggles. We're not honest with anymore about our sin, about our temptations. We're not honest with God anymore. And so God shows up to Adam and Eve in the rest of the story. He shows up to Adam and Eve and he asks them two questions. And I'm going to ask you the same two questions today because I believe this is the starting point to finding freedom in your life. This is the starting point to finding true freedom in your life. Genesis 3, 9, then the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? That's the first question God's asking you today. Where are you? Like, where are you really? Where are you really at? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What, what, what's going on in your life? Like, where are you really at? See, if we were being honest today, a lot of us would say, Jason, I'm not in a good place. I'm not in a good place. Jason, if I'm being honest, I feel afraid. If I'm being honest, Jason, I'm struggling. If I'm being honest, I'm really lonely. If I'm being honest, I'm angry. If I'm being honest, I'm, I'm attracted. If I'm being honest, like, Here's where I really am. Here's where I really am. And I know when everybody asks, like, you know, how you doing? I'm doing good. But let me tell you where I really am. And God shows up to Adam and he says, where are you? Adam, Eve, where are you? And God asks you the same question today. But you got to be honest enough, honest enough with yourself to answer that question. Like, where are you really at? What's really going on in your heart? What's really going on in your mind? Where are you? Second question, God asked this, Genesis 3.13. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? So God shows up and he says, where are you? Second question, what are you doing? Where are you and what are you doing? There is power in verbalizing what you're doing. That's why James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is power in verbalizing. So God shows up in the garden after they've sinned. He set boundaries. They were tempted. They sinned. They felt ashamed. They hid. And God says, where are you? You got to answer that question. And he says, what are you doing? You got to answer that question. When's the last time you were honest with somebody about what you were really doing? 
When's the last time you were honest with God about what you're really doing? What are you doing? It's confession time. And you ain't got to confess to me. And we're not going to pass around the mic today and have you confess to anybody in this room. But there better be somebody in your life that you can look across a table or you can look across a living room or whatever it is. And you can say, I need to tell you where I'm at and I need to tell you what I'm doing. Because until I tell you where I'm at and until I tell you what I'm doing, I'm going to stay living life ashamed and afraid and I'm going to hide. And I'm going to keep myself covered up and I'm going to keep myself hiding from God and hiding from everybody else around me. We can't be in denial. We can't keep acting like it's not a big deal. We have to be honest enough to admit to ourselves and to someone else where we really are and what we're doing. Listen to me. Sin loses its power when we bring it in the light. I'm not promising you I'm going to fix all your problems today, but I'm telling you that if you keep living life like a secret, it's going to kill you. Are there going to be consequences? Yeah, probably. Man, living with the truth out is so much better than living with a secret, living with a lie. And you bring it, you drag that thing out in the open. Andrea and I have a dead animal somewhere in our garage that we cannot find, and it stinks. It stinks. I'm pretty sure a mouse or something ate one of those poison packs and walked out there and died somewhere. And so my project this week is to tear down the garage until we find this thing. Andrea's a man in me up here. Listen, that thing stinks. Can I tell you something? That smell's never going to go away until I find it and drag it out. And when it's cold outside, it may, you know, you may not smell it, but when it heats up, there it is again. And it's never going to just go away. I can't be like, well, it'll just go away. The only way it's ever going to go away is for me to do the hard work and find it. Let's pray to God it's not in the walls and drag it out. It's the same with the sin in your life. It's not going to go away. Why do you keep thinking it's just going to go away? It's not going to go away. Until you get honest enough with you and somebody in your life and, and God and say, here's where I really am and here's what I'm doing. Here's where I am and here is where I'm doing. Listen, spouse, sit down and tell your spouse what's really going on. Student, sit down with your parents, tell them what's really going on. Sit down with your boss, tell them what's really going on. Sit down with your friend, tell them what's really going on. You're never gonna find freedom. And the devil's never gonna be able to keep telling you one of these days somebody's gonna find out and you're gonna lose everything or whatever it is until you drag it out in the open. And ever since Adam and Eve covered themselves up, you and I have lived our lives covered up, ashamed and in hiding. And today we're gonna, we're gonna stop lying. We're gonna come out in the open and we're gonna verbalize where we are and what we're doing. Because when we do, we'll find freedom. Next few weeks, we're going to talk about certain triggers, certain ways that we can avoid temptation, certain ways that we can not slide back into some of those things. But it all starts with our willingness to be honest about where we are and what we're doing. Let's pray.